This is Paul Nobles from eatform.com. Kind of got a weird little um, introduction from Google Hangouts, which we use. So these show up on YouTube later. I apologize for having the hat kind of covering my face, but you know, I'm kind of having a little bit of a bad hair day. And so April's saying I should just go with the, the crazy Robert De Niro mohawk, but uh, I've been kind of out and about most of the day, so I figured I'd just go with the hat. April, did you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, carbs and fats, and I thought I came up with a fairly decent theme that we'll kind of get into in a little bit, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the, the CrossFit Open and some topics that have come up related to the CrossFit Open, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to run through the way that we sort of think of it, and who knows, maybe some, some people might find that helpful. Um, so one of the things, and I, I go to a CrossFit gym, and I've gone to a CrossFit gym for six years, April does not go to a CrossFit gym, but obviously, you know, we work with a lot of people who do CrossFit. And so when every year the Open comes around, there's always kind of various controversies that come up related to it. And one of the things that came up the other day is um, CrossFit HQ posted a, a picture or a, um, a video series of all the people struggling to do their first muscle up. And I, I didn't see the text, so I'm not even gonna really comment on that part of it. But there's always kind of like these crazy CrossFit compilations and stuff like this of you know pointing to the the instances where people are using bad form and ultimately um you know, trying to get some kind of physical accomplishment. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not Mr. Bad Form or anything like that, but I do think some of the criticism that people have of people getting their first muscle up is a little overdone, even from the CrossFit coach's standpoint, because what you'll often see is someone working really hard to get a physical accomplishment and it gets really hard, you know? And, you know, I remember as an example, the first time that I ever deadlifted 405 pounds and someone filmed it for me and I ended up showing it and people were like, oh God, it's such bad form. And, uh, you know, it wasn't near as bad as, as, as most people think, but, you know, the Internet's kind of one of, the, you know, one of those places where everybody's a lot stronger than you are. Um, I mean, as far as I know, everybody deadlifts 500 pounds, everybody squats 450, um, and with impeccable acid-grass form. Um, but we know in real life, you know, those are big accomplishments for a lot of people. And now if you look at me, you know, deadlifting 405 for reps, my form's a whole lot better, you know? But 
I would have never gotten to 405 for reps if I hadn't gotten past that one time that was really hard. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, kind of, you know, shout people down and will often, you know, make a bigger issue of the form thing when in reality, you're going to have to go through hard periods to get physical accomplishments. And, you know, I think it sort of sucks that there's, I mean, it's not just random people on the internet that are making this criticism. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people that will say, you know, you shouldn't be doing tipping pull-ups until you do, you know, one, you know, strict form pull-up and, and, and this and that. Like, who made you the boss of exercise? You know, I mean, why can't, look, you know, this is, to me, this is one of the reasons why, you know, any type of physical fitness movement starts to marginalize itself, you know, and, and you start to see, like, people cannibalizing, you know, their own people. You know, these are, these are people that are crossfitting, right? They've, they've chosen to do the open. They've chosen to try something that they've never done. They've gotten their first muscle up, and then they've got some idiot saying that the rep doesn't count. You know, it's fairly clear from the judges' course that, you know, these reps count if they get to the top. Now, you know, I think a lot of the people that go, well, people are going to criticize CrossFit for that. They've been criticizing CrossFit for the last 10 years, you know. And meanwhile, people are still getting their first muscle up, which leads to their 15th muscle up, which leads to better form and leads to all these other things. And once again, I'm not making an apology for bad form, but I think that, you know, I see a lot of criticism related to form all day long, every single day. And sometimes form is just hard, you know? And people seem to have a tough time differentiating what is a hard physical accomplishment for somebody, you know? And ultimately, as someone that works with people related to health and fitness, you know, those accomplishments are what keep people around. That's what keeps people interested. And so, and we hear on a daily basis, well, this is the first time that I've ever posted something like this, you know, just because I don't want my friends and family judging me or I don't want, you know, whoever judging me, you know. And then you start seeing stuff like that and you start realizing there are a bunch of people judging people. And that just sucks. I mean, that just sucks that these people are working their ass off, you know, and, you know, I don't think we can stop the morons, you know, from criticizing our friends, you know, that are working hard to get physical accomplishments. But I do think we can stop us, you know, I do think we can stop, you know, cannibalizing our own people. Somebody works their ass off and then some people are like, well, you know, let's uh, applaud the effort and then, you know, no rep them. Like, who the fuck are you, man? Like, fuck you. Fuck you and your judgmental bullshit. You know, someone just worked their ass off 
you know, to get a physical accomplishment, you cheer that son of a bitch on and you let them know that you had their back the whole fucking way. I'm so sick and tired of that bullshit, man. You know, I mean, seriously, like, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm being a little emotional about it, but it, it, it just, it bugs me as someone who didn't have physical fitness in his life at all, you know, and all throughout the way, you know, kind of, I mean, you think that it didn't suck for me to know that three of the guys that I was working out with were special forces? You think it didn't suck for me to know that three of the people, three to four of the people were Division One athletes? There were another five and six that were Division Two, Division Three athletes. Most of the other people had been fit their whole life. For me to walk through that fucking door was a big fucking deal, you know? And I think, you know, having a bunch of people judging that is is bullshit and it really bugs me you know i mean in case you in case you didn't notice um I, I, <laughs> any, any thought any thoughts on being the reasonable person here april no just that we rather than tear someone down um what you were saying was was kind of stems back from the webinar we had a couple of weeks ago in regards to we were talking about you know kind of getting off the fence you know you were talking about the four or five deadlift you know, whenever you, you push yourself, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but you have to push yourself to get even further. Um, you know, so I believe in the positive reinforcement, you know, focusing on the positives and not the negatives. Yeah. So someone is like, is there normally this kind of language? There isn't normally this kind of language. It's just, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we do, we do sort of point out to people that, you know, this podcast has um, kind of explicit language. So I apologize if I, I didn't kind of throw that out there. We don't, you know, we have a theme. We're going to be talking about carbs and fats for sure. But uh, the, uh, you know, I just wanted to to make sure that, that, you know, that got covered. You know, I mean, this idea of, yeah, there are standards. I mean, I get that there are standards, but at the same time, you know, the standards are pretty clearly laid out. and you know, when other people, you know, that are kind of on your team are the ones kind of being openly critical of you. I think that that kind of sucks, you know, and that's, that's kind of where that's at. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today, I thought, I thought I was going to come up with like a, a, a good way to look at how to use um, carbs and fats and how, um, maybe to view it a little bit differently because you know i think that's one of the things that people will often struggle with you know it's how do i fuel my workouts you know when can i rely predominantly on fats and when can i rely predominantly on carbs and so I started thinking to myself what would be a good analogy um analogy or metaphor i always get those two mixed up but i'm pretty sure in this instance we're talking about an analogy um but the uh when you look at gas mileage in a car as an example um the your highway miles are always going to get you more miles than in the city and the obvious instance being that 
uh, you, uh, you're going to be putting more emphasis on the accelerator the majority of the time. And then when you're on, you know, the highway, you're kind of in a little bit more of, you know, a steady acceleration mode and therefore you get more, um, fuel mileage out of the experience. And so when you look at how you can view things from the standpoint of whether you're, you can use fats or carbohydrates, two of the best ways to look at it is you're going to want to have carbs available when you are working out so you have enough energy to accomplish that workout at a good rate. Then you can use fats more predominantly at rest. And what I think happens for a lot of people is they, they view it as if like it's one or the other. It's like a switch and it's really not a switch. You know, you're really sort of pushing things in one direction as opposed to the other direction. And so when you look at something like a short high intensity wad, you know, say something like, you know, seven minutes or something of that nature, similar to the CrossFit Open, <laughs> um, you're going to want to have enough available energy, but you wouldn't want to be overly reliant on fats in that scenario. You're definitely going to get to a point where you're going to have a, enough stored glucose. And the problem that you run into when you keep your carbs too low is you're, you know, all throughout the day, your brain, your organs, all these things are using glucose along the way. And so having a moderate amount of carbohydrates definitely is going to help. So then you go, well, how can I view my fats? Well, I can view, you want to use your fats when you're doing things like walking, maybe jogging at a slow tempo, hiking. Um, and what I think is probably more interesting about that is just how you can view workouts in general. So if you've been following Eat to Perform for a long time, right about this time last year, I was doing a lot longer workouts one day a week, more intense workouts certain days of the week, and, and then, you know, that was kind of working for a while there, but, you know, eventually I started running into some overuse issues with my feet. Um, and so I started looking at ways to sort of change that up a bit. Going into this spring, you know, I've really looked at, <coughs> excuse me, um, trying to look at volume a little bit differently kind of doing some some of the daily challenges, a lot of work around my my home, things of that nature, and then maybe crossfitting a couple days less. But most days, really trying to get in some kind of low-intensity work, been doing rucks three, you know, two to three days a week. And so, like, that to me, um, you know, is something that I'm sort of evolving into. Now, whether or not, that will be the long-term approach. I am currently performance-focused fat loss, in which if you're not familiar with Eat to Perform, that's kind of like our way of getting athletes into a deficit so they can 
be a little bit more focused on fat during a certain period. And so it's very possible that I will up my level of intense intensity and very likely that I'll up my level of intensity after this. But what's interesting about performance fat, focused fat loss each time is that I, I pick up a little trick, you know, along the way. And last year, as I started upping my level of intensity, I was trying to look at intensity different. <clears throat> and I, you know, had my longer day. Now my longer day tends to be a little bit more consistent. And so as an example, <clears throat> let's say that I'm a little sick today in case you hadn't kind of heard it, heard it in my nose. Um, kind of got nasally voice today. Um, but you run 18 miles over the course of one day and it really drags on you and ultimately that's going to be kind of a big volume piece, right? Right now, I'm sort of looking at it from the standpoint of maybe trying to get in 24 miles over the course of six days. So still keeping the volume piece in there, but just more gradually and where, um, you know, consistency sort of matters and <coughs> the draw on my body isn't near as much. Any thoughts as it relates to kind of like the, the using fuels? And I may end up like uh, editing out the, the, the diatribe from earlier. We'll, we'll see. But, you know, the, I, I just didn't, you know, I guess it just really, it really did bug me, man. You know, it really bugged me as someone that, you know, didn't have physical fitness as a priority in their life. And then, you know, seeing, you know. You know, I think that there are some people who are just, you know, naturally gifted with an athletic ability. And some of us have to work harder at it, you know, like really work hard at it. And the ones that really have to work hard at it, you know, you lift them up and support them, not tear them down because they're not naturally gifted. Um, actually, I like your idea of what you were saying in regards to the volume. You know, you're, what you're doing is you're essentially spreading it out over the week, getting the same amount but by spreading it out, you're not tearing your body down as much and allowing for better recovery. Um, I what do you think specifically about the, the, the car gas mileage thought process? It, no, I absolutely agree. And I think oftentimes a lot of people overthink, um, you know, when to, like what you were saying, when to use the carbs, when to use the fats, um, you know, just in general, you know, rather than stressing, because I, I get questions every day of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work out at eight o'clock, you know, should I eat something before? And, you know, and my, my answer is, is if you're hungry, eat something. If not, if you had carbs the night before, you have some stored energy, you know, you went to sleep, you have stored energy, you will be fine, you know, but also kind of the overthinking of, you know, if you're just, you know, taking a stroll, you know, with your family, going to the park, walking, you know, a light, you know, low stress hike, things like that, I really think is, is the time that, people should be utilizing, you know, the, the fats more, you know, and, and in turn, you know, you can actually, you know, focus on using the fat stores, you know, more as energy versus the glucose. So I think that that's good. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, the other thing that I think is sort of interesting in the discussion is the idea of, uh, when, 
you have like these really super long days where you're doing 18, 20 miles, you can burn 4,500 calories. And for you to kind of get, you know, to those kind of calorie requirements, you're going to have to eat more energy dense foods naturally. Right. And so people will often think, well, gosh, isn't that awesome? You know, I can have pizza and ice cream and all this other type of stuff. What I'm sort of saying is you can rely on, I mean, certainly you can factor some of those types of foods in over the course of the way that you eat. Even in the course of a performance-focused fat loss cycle, you'll have the ability to um, kind of have foods that you enjoy. But what I'm saying is, is that if, for instance, you're doing a four-mile hike, and let's say that that four-mile hike takes an hour, the problem that you run into is one you don't have to have the these extreme requirements as it relates to food and so you know when you're not putting like this amazing demand you know the the one thing that i was thinking about the other day was you know you had a, a seven minute workout during the crossfit open and you know it just kind of wiped you out and I think what happens for a lot of people is that they'll do workouts like that and they're really hard and they'll leave that workout and they'll have something to eat, you know, just kind of celebrate the victory or whatever, but they didn't really have the volume in place to really justify those kinds of decisions. Right. And that's fine because if the rest of your time, you are doing it to where you are justifying those decisions and you'll be fine, you know, but do you, do you see where I'm going with it, April? I, mean, I think that, I think that um, consistently trying to have enough volume as it relates to low intensity work, as it relates to, you know, some level of muscle building. And then as it relates to some level of high intensity, you know, if you have larger volume pieces where, you know, consistency, like I said, I mean, I've been doing four mile walks fairly consistently over the last two weeks, you know, as I'm doing this performance focused fat loss and haven't really seen the kinds of feet problems that I was having previous to this. Right. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, often my gait seems to be better with a 45-pound pack. And I don't know if it's just because I'm more cognizant of the walk or whatever. Um, the the local parks around here, you know, they're still kind of muddy because of the snow melt and, and stuff like this. So I've been kind of staying on sidewalks as much as I can. I did try to do kind of an hour long ruck on Sunday in one of the parks and it just was slow, so slushy and, and muddy that it was really difficult to kind of do things. But I think, you know, when people get overly reliant on any one thing, that's kind of a net negative. As an example, I think that, you know, there was a study that, that Brad was talking about about athletes using carbohydrates and specifically um, 
you know, someone responded with, you know, females as it relates to males and how they use different fuels. Women are sort of known to use glucose better, meaning that they can absorb carbohydrates better. They tend to be a little bit more efficient than men are in that regard. But what the study was talking about was really using extreme carbohydrates to kind of explore like this top level of athletic achievement. And that's really not what we're talking about with Eat to Perform. What we're talking about is really more moderate consumption for most people. Now we do have athletes that have to explore kind of the top end of, you know, what they, um, you know, is going to allow them to do really well in the gym. And they're, you know, like I said, you know, if you run 20 miles a day, you know, you're going to accumulate a, a lot of calories, usually some level of carbs and fats, you know, I mean, I've talked about this a number of times where, um, you know, when I was running, definitely carbohydrates were part of the things that fueled it a little bit. But I, I also remember, you know, craving things like, you know, salted almonds and potato chips, you know. And the reason I kind of like, you know, think that that's the case, and I've heard other people say it as well, is that those are just calorie dense, you know. And so you're able to get in. And at that point, your body is able to process a lot of fuels, you know, just because it's so demanding. And so it is kind of interesting because there'll be people that say, well, how do I fuel a long run? And, you know, I don't know if you find yourself in this position with clients people often, but I'm like, okay, so how do you define a long run? You know, because, you know, for some people, Three miles is a long run, you know? And then if they're talking about 20 miles, well, we're having a different discussion, right? Yeah, and I think it actually depends on the person, too, at how well run. <laughs> like what you were saying, you know, for some people, like for me, you know, three miles would be rough, you know, because I don't run regularly, whereas someone who is more conditioned to run three miles would just be a drop in the bucket, you know? They could, you know, they could probably eat an egg and, run it in 20 minutes and you know and be fine you know yeah, well and and your body is is more used to that level of activity so therefore you're able to um, process the fuels differently whereas you know like the first two weeks you do something like crossfit it's like a shock to your system and you'd be foolish to not eat more, you know, to adjust for that and, and have your body kind of adjust to that stimulus. You know, and I, I often mention that when I first started um, doing CrossFit, you know, I was eating about 3,000 calories a day because my activity level was already pretty high at that point and had to move it to really like 4,000 calories a day um, just to kind of adjust for the, the different volume. Within, I'd say, three to four months, I was back down to 3,000 calories again because my body had adjusted. You know, the, um, and when you look at you know, doing any one thing, um, you know, there is value in having some level of variety for that reason. 
you know, it does kind of ask your body to use different types of fuels differently. And so that would be something that I would say is sort of important for people. Um, any thoughts on that? Because we're, we're, we actually don't have a lot of questions other than poor Linda, who's like, um, she, she actually left, you know, which uh, I, I guess we should probably say that, you know, I mean, I don't normally use like super, super language um, today. It was just one of those days, I don't know. The uh, maybe I'm, uh, you know, just, I guess you were just passionate in regards to what you're you were talking about. No, um, I think it's the daylight savings time. I think that's what really messed Yeah, no, I think it's got everybody out of whack. Um, what you were saying in regards to you know, first starting CrossFit, I think that's with anything, you know, just like for myself, if I start a different you know, training program, if I've been on a certain training program and the volume changes or the reps or whatever you know, changes in general, you know, it's with anything, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to become in, in tune with your body and, and kind of know, you know, Hey, you know, I'm really sore, you know, it's crushing me. I kind of need some food, you know, and, and kind of know when to increase. Yeah. Um, just so you guys know, you are able to ask questions. I'm, I'm seeing a few new faces and a few faces that are fairly familiar. Um, but we do have a little time for Q&A today. Um, I would say, you, you know, this week has been sort of interesting for me, uh, you know, during kind of a performance-focused fat loss, of course. The one thing that I always tell people is prepare for Armageddon, you know, just prepare for the worst because, you know, your sleep may be affected, you may get sick. You have to kind of gear for those types of things and figure out whether or not, you know, you can kind of gut it out or whether or not, um, you know, you might want to pull the reins in. More often than not, you know, I, I suggest people stick to the plan. But um, as I mentioned earlier, I am sick. And we'll see how sick over the next couple of days. But my wife's been sick for about a week and a half. Uh, I'd say probably three days into deciding that I was going to do performance-focused fat loss. She's like, I'm not feeling great. I've got a scratchy. And I was like, stay away from me, woman. You know, you're going to get me sick. Um, and sure enough, she did get me sick. Um, you're and, like, stay away. Don't you know I'm piffling? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know. Um, is there no respect in this relationship at all? But, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people, whenever they go into a deficit cycle, they don't factor in enough, right? Enough of really the obstacles that kind of start them, you know, down a path of, of you know, struggling. And... You know, it's easy to kind of snuggle up to a cheesecake at that point. You know, I always use the, I always use the same thing. You know, for the only reason I do is because it makes April smile every single time. Um, but don't you don't you think that that's true for for virtually everyone that you know? And I think that that's one of the reasons why we talk to people about a lot of the you know extremes and making sure to kind of keep that out of the mix. 
I think, you know, I think in like in your scenario or in a scenario where you're specifically going in a deficit, you know, just kind of looking at the <laughs> looking at the broader picture, you know, of it's not always as simple as um, in my opinion, it's not always as simple as calories in versus calories out. You kind of have to look at the big picture, you know, like what you were saying in regards to you being sick. I had mentioned before we started the webinar, you know, I talked to 20 people today with the daylight savings time last night, everybody's sleep was short. They couldn't get to sleep and then they ended up only getting, you know, between four or six hours of sleep, whereas they usually get seven or eight, you know, and almost everyone, even with perfect food diaries, perfect macros, everything, almost everyone's weight was up, you know, pound, pound and a half. My sleep was horrible and I look like I'm seven months pregnant today. I can show y'all my baby if y'all want to see it. <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, you have to, look at the large picture, you know, look at the, the big picture and see, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, oh my God, you know, scales up. I must have ate too much. Let me cut some more, you know. It's, it's and when we look at, you know, heart rate variability data, you know, the thing that, you know, what heart rate variability data tells you is the effect of stress on your system. And Without question, the thing that is most stressful is being underslept. You know, I, you know, sickness and being underslept are the things that fit, you know, affect HRV the most. And so, um, you know, I'm actually having kind of the opposite problem. Uh, you know, what's been interesting so far, normally I plan to struggle with sleep just because you know you're changing habits and you know your body kind of likes being a certain way my sleep has been great you know and i'm knocking on wood here um just like even last night you know um I not only did i sleep eight hours and 15 minutes but i also was able to nap for about 30 to 45 minutes you know i do find that when I, I I sort of remember this from previous performance focused fat losses, where um, if I can get in a nap, that helps a lot. You know, for a lot of things. Now, not everyone has the flexibility to do that kind of thing, but if you do have the flexibility, I do think that that's kind of a, a plus. Um, any any thoughts on that, April? Before yeah. we naps are magical. I agree. I didn't get one all last week and I was totally off my A game. I was just, you know that today is like national nap day or something? What? I did get a nap today, so I'm good. <laughs> well, you were talking about you're talking about the HRV. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that I've got a, a lady in group coaching who a couple months back, you know, her um, resting heart rate is always, you know, averagely like in the low sixties and over time we were going through a fat loss cycle and over time you know, it was, it was a matter of like a week. All of a sudden her sleep was off, you know, she was poor recovery, things like that. And her uh, resting heart rate started increasing and was kind of getting up in the mid seventies. So we pulled back and, you know, she added in more sleep. She went to bed earlier. She added in an extra recovery day and we gave her more food and it brought it back down. Well, all of a sudden her sleep's kind of been off the past week or so. And I've noticed that in her journal entries, you know, over the past couple of days, that resting heart rate keeps increasing. And she had come in today. I was like, oh, I've already been watching it. <laughs> I said, I've already been watching it. But, you know, I said what we did last time, you know, more sleep, 
more recovery, more food is going to bring it down just like that, you know, and it works like a charm every time. Yeah. I mean, my resting heart rate, you know, when I, you know, I was sort of wondering whether or not I was maybe struggling with a little bit of seasonal effectiveness disorder, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, my, my heart rate was up probably 10 points, you know, 10 to 12 points. Now that sleep's back, been able to get in a little bit more cardio, you know, it's back down to high 40s, low 50s, and it was in the 60s, which is, you know, mid-60s. That's not normal for me. So Surya was asking, what do you suggest for someone who doesn't get enough sleep but is completely beyond their control? So I think what she's saying is, you know, I have to wake up at X amount of time because uh, I have to get the kids to school or whatever. And unless I'm misrepresenting that, you know, let me know. But what are, what are your thoughts on that, April? That actually reminds me of Lindsay. Um, she has a flexible schedule with work and due to, you know, she, she can't prevent it. You know, she only gets a certain amount of sleep. And, you know, our, our goal is to focus on getting more quality sleep in the time that you have versus, you know, if you've only got five hours, you got to make the best of it and kind of go out like a light and make a good quality sleep. We're also trying to work on fitting in naps when we can. Um, you know, again, not everybody can, can fit in naps, but I would suggest trying to, to make the sleep that you have the best quality sleep that you can. Yeah, I mean, my suggestion Let's see, she's, she's following up. My youngest son with autism also has a sleep disorder, and when he's up, I am. <laughs> um, one, I think when you can, if you can go to a sleep doctor, you should. I know, you know, I've avoided it for a long time, never have done it, and have done a lot of research. She does say I do naps often during the weekends. Um, I, I think that... One, establishing a routine. Now, obviously, if you're in a scenario where she's talking about, it's sort of hard to control. But most people will find that some level of routine is always going to be super beneficial. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, often we'll recommend magnesium. And uh, one of the things that is pretty popular around each form is natural calm which is kind of a magnesium drink. You drink it, you know, almost like it's tea where it's warm and you drink it before bed and it's, you know, magnesium is known to be a de-stressor. And so uh, what we used to do and something you might want to try, Suri, is, uh, is to take the tea and get together with your son previous to going to bed and you know have kind of like decompressing time and i think that that helps you know for me it was it was awesome to be able to sit down with my daughters and just have those moments i think the other thing too that <clears throat> if we're all honest with ourselves we sort of like that late night alone time when you can kind of decompress and you get the kids to bed and you know all this and that at some point you do kind of got to pick that you know um and i think that 
you know, there's always kind of concessions to make there. Uh, I think if you're, you know, the one thing that I found is when I was sort of struggling with sleep and had kind of a routine uh, that it would ultimately be better. The other thing too, and in, in lately, you know, I've been, you know, in the, in the health um, podcast, there was the number one health podcast and we were number three for a while there. And I was like trying to figure out how to beat these guys. And um, the podcast called sleep with me. And I started reading about what it is. And, you know, it was a podcast that helps you sleep, you know, and the guy would read like these mon in a monotone voice about like ideas. And that was helpful for a while there. And, and since then, I've just kind of started listening to podcasts or audiobooks. I think you're probably better off decompressing with those kinds of things rather than something like, like television. I mean, now, once again, you know, I'm, you know, not the best with this because if it's Monday, you know, I'll listen to like the Bill Burr podcast. I'll be sitting there at 1030 at night cracking up laughing, you know, so that's not always the best for uh, getting to sleep. But, and, and sometimes when you're like reading an audio book right now, I'm reading um, Extreme Ownership, um, which has been awesome all along the way. The whole book is awesome. And in that process of, of reading the book, I'll fall asleep. And then I realize like I missed the, like a really good chapter. So um, and then, you you know, you end up re-listening to stuff that you first started with. She's saying he's actually passed out on the couch now from being up last night. Um, I'm trying to get myself to bed as soon as possible. I, I just think that, the, uh, you know, it, that's going to be a difficult problem, you know. And my suspicion is that the more routine things would be, for most people, that's going to be better. In your situation, obviously, you've got other things kind of happening. But when we're talking about fat loss goals, you know, being underslept is huge because you'll be working out at 60% a lot, you know. And, you know, can your body deal with that kind of stress? Yeah, it can. But over time, obviously, it makes things sort of difficult. And if you're trying to build muscle or something like that, you know, it's it's one of these games that you play that you're never going to be perfect at, but you're always going to be trying to look to be better at, I guess is kind of the idea. Um, any other thoughts for sleep? You know, you're, you're talking about the, you know, whenever you get that alone time or later late at night after everything's settled, I don't, I don't know about you, Paul, but, you know, any chance I get, I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, i got to hurry and go to sleep. You know, I'm only, I've only got seven and a half hours. So i got to go to sleep. So, <laughs> so sleep. I, I, I can't do that. Um, that is, that's the kind of thing that actually keeps me awake, you know. I, I think for me, I know how much better I feel with sleep and just how much it affects me whenever I'm low on it. So it's like I'll give up everything to to get that sleep if I have to. Um, you know, my my son, he's 10 now, but when he was born, 
I breastfed for over a year, for the first year, and he did not sleep through the night, not one single time his first year. Like, and that's, you know, for me, the disrupted, you know, sleep of, of getting up, you know, tending to, you know, a baby, eight month, nine month, whatever. I was like a walking zombie that first year, you know, and it wasn't until I stopped nursing that I actually felt like a normal person again. Um, you know, and he wouldn't get up for hours at a time. It was just, you know, 30 minutes at a time and, you know, things like that. But whenever you have that disrupted sleep, it can, I do think certain people are more affected than others um, by it, but I do think a lot of people are, it is kind of one of the missing components that they're not really looking at. I think there's a lot of people who think that they could get her off with six hours sleep a day that do a lot better with eight. Yeah. Absolutely. And if they could remove certain layers of stress, I mean, if I was looking at it, you know, and she actually jokingly said something, but if I was looking at it and go, well, I'm having a hard time reaching my fat loss goals. So at least I now have a reason, right? Cause I can't sleep. I would argue that, you know, whatever the piece is that you're struggling with, you know, that is your biggest priority, you know, and if you can make sure that that priority is taken care of. Now we can look at all the other different priorities. But, you know, when I'm underslept by far, one of the best things that ever, I, I don't know, it was really off of some stuff that, I, that I'd researched in terms of, you know, blue light and, 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 and stuff like this. But one of the things that I kind of came to a conclusion of is I like, you know, relaxing, you know, with my covers and, and with my pillow and now listening to an audio book or a podcast or something that, that sort of relaxes me. One of the things that the guy said on his podcast that I, I believe is true, he said that a lot of people think that they have a million thoughts racing through their mind and they don't. They only have one thought you know, at each time is just continuous thoughts coming into your brain. And part of the reason why his podcast works is because it allows you to focus on something mundane that really isn't all that interesting to you with kind of a soothing voice. And then that puts you to sleep. If you ever look at the ratings and reviews, I mean, I've talked about this podcast a bunch of times, um, but I've surprisingly haven't listened to it all that much. Um, because yeah, people would probably just be better off to DVR like golf and then close your eyes and listen to the commentators and you know, fall asleep. The best snaps are taken while watching golf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, on Friday nights <laughs> on HBO, they have Bill Maher, and I don't know if this speaks to the, to the show or what, but you know. I've never been able to make it more than 15 minutes into Bill Maher. I mean, it puts me out like nothing. Um, and I, I actually do like the show a little bit. Um, so we'll kind of end on uh, one thing. I bought a Withing scale, and uh, I, I don't know if I would recommend it at this point. I, I definitely would recommend it much higher than I would the comparable Under Armour. Um, I don't really have anything to compare it to like the Aria, which also is supposed to be pretty good. And that's like the Fitbit. I did think of getting the Aria, 
but reading a bunch of reviews, I, I sort of came to the conclusion that the Withings would be a little bit better. I'm really liking the app. I think it's you know it's good to, good to track. Um, you know, like I said this to you last week, I think of course it's a little bit higher than my scale. It's not that much higher though. It's it's like 0.4 to 0.6. Um, I I don't even know why they're still doing bioimpedance scales anymore. You know, the readings are so off and. You know, we've obviously been talking to people about this for years that, you know, don't, you know, uh, even look at that. And I haven't really been able to turn the setting off or look at, you know, how to turn the setting off. But it's just kind of an annoying thing to have, you know, out there because it. I told you, set your height to 7.5 and it solves the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the um, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the big issue that I need to work with. But but so far so good. I like it. I like having uh, one of the things that was interesting. You know, the app sends you data, and this is sort of a belief of mine as well. But it talked about people that weigh themselves more often, often, you know, are able to control their weight better and then often see more fat loss as a result. And they're basing it off of actual data, you know? And if you think about it, <clears throat> one of the arguments that we've always made is that most people don't wanna check the scale because of the expectation of what the scale is going to say. Well, what do you think's gonna happen when you avoid the scale for three months? You know what I mean? And so some level, you know, and I'm not saying that you have to be a slave to the scale. I mean, I do weigh myself daily. Um, I'm sort of divorced from what the number says. I mean, certainly in performance-focused fat loss, you know, I'm a little bit more cognizant of my numbers overall. And, I, you know, in case you hadn't been listening for the last number of podcasts, you know, for a while there, I wasn't, you know, I had sporadic check-ins but for the opposite reason that most people don't do it, because I was actually trying to build muscle. And so I didn't want the the scale to kind of distract me because, you know, it, it it is something that can weigh on you no matter how seasoned you are with all this stuff. And so I just find that, you know, I'm better off, you know, having more sporadic check-ins at those points. But, you know, when you're trying to look for a specific result the more data the better i think you know and um it is kind of interesting though because that's contrary to a little bit of the way that i'm trying to do my performance focused fat loss i have had a few days where i checked in on my food um just to see you know what my calories are but for the most part i'm kind of experimenting with out tracking just because that's something that is important to a few people and i want to do kind of do a series on how you can do that and see it see a result but you have to have some check-ins in place you have to have some way to kind of monitor whether things are are working or not i think one of the the biggest mistakes you know we were talking i was talking to someone in group coaching today and one of the things that they talked about was like having some success using a flexible dieting approach and then um, 
they just couldn't figure out the reacclimation period. And so once they did that, they then lowered their calories. And what's sort of interesting as it relates to like if it fits your macros or, or something that's taking more of an average approach, I often argue that a lot of the 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 what I would say is a criticism of those ways of doing things, often people don't explore the top ends enough, right? So they're actually building muscle. And then when they're low, you know, they do something similar to what she's doing where they just eat, you know, 1600 calories or 1400 calories. And in her instance, she's a very active person. So she was just really super struggling eating 1800 calories. Now we're talking about somebody that probably burned 2600 on rest days, 3000 on the days that she's working out. So 1800. And what I said to her, I said, do you think that if you had eaten 1800 two days a week, that it would have been so bad? And she said, no, I don't. And I said, because that's really the idea. The idea is to kind of do, you know, take sort of an average, you know, take the minimal amount of interference that gets you a result. But I think ultimately she's going to be, she's going to be perfectly fine with performance focused fat loss. It's just that, that reacclimation that we'll have to walk her through that'll make things easier moving forward. And I think that when you look at where most people struggle, that's where most people struggle, you know, is, is just how to manage coming out of things, how not to dive face first into a cheesecake and how to kind of manage, you know, upping that level of intensity or looking at things a little bit differently. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I can go for a walk. doesn't take a lot out of me. Certainly, you know, oh, one thing that I was going to say, uh, someone mentioned to me about the CrossFit Open and doing it at the CrossFit Open because, you know, we'll often recommend for athletes to do it out of season. So this would seem like, you know, I'm kind of doing the opposite of what we normally teach. This, the CrossFit Open, I'm not trying to be good at CrossFit. You know, um, at least at this moment. Now, training for the Granite Games, one hundred percent. I will. I will. Are you going to be training for the Granite Games? By the way, April. Yeah, they're trying to talk me into it. Um, <laughs> I, w- I was going to say I actually agree with what you're saying. You you are participating just in a as a community. So you're participating with your gym as a community, just as a good sport. I'm actually coaching quite a few people during P- for a PFFL during the Open but they're just participating just to be participating. They don't really care how they do. It's no big deal. You know, they're not necessarily trying to compete or trying to, you know, make now, it to games or regionals or anything. The one thing I will say about this, I'm, I'll be happy when the CrossFit Open is over and that it can allow me to kind of be normal because having that one day where you do have to have like a good handle on enough energy so you can, um, you know, when you look at performance-focused fat loss, I mean, you know, I, I said this earlier today, and I think it's a really good way to look at it. You're really talking about managing your uncomfortable, right? And unfortunately, you know, when you're 
you're going to be uncomfortable. And so we often will give you strategies as it relates to how to deal with that. But even if you have one day where you need to have energy, where you have to absolutely have a certain amount of intense intensity, you have to have food there. You know, otherwise, you know, you'll end up passing out or something like that. And um, that can be kind of a distraction. In that way, the CrossFit Open is a distraction from my performance focused fat loss. And, it, and the best way to describe it is that it makes it a little harder on all the other days that I'm you know, trying to be as, you know, your your overall calorie average is going to be low enough to where you're seeing a result. And, you know, having that one day where you're kind of intentionally causing a little bit more fluids and, and carbohydrates, so they load into your muscles and you have a more effective workout. Those things are good, but, you know, it comes at a little bit of a cost as it relates to being uncomfortable the rest of the week. So that's something to kind of think about that truthfully, even if you're in a scenario where your performance focused fat lossing and, and your performance in an event doesn't matter all that much, it still affects it, you know? And, you know, you certainly don't want to be at the point where you're kind of like, you know, feeling super cravings and hungry all the time and, 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 and hard, having a hard time managing that. So something to keep in mind. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody being here. Um, I, I apologize that uh, I got a little worked up on, uh, on the whole, the whole thing, but I really feel like, you know, people, I hope people appreciate where I was coming from with that because I, I feel like, you know, as someone who's been in that position and felt judged in those scenarios, um, that our voice needed to be heard. And so hopefully that's the way people take it. April, I appreciate you being here. And you want to say goodbye to everyone? Good night, everyone. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.